0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select campus events while supplies last make every tap music to your ears. I bet you're smart. Yeah,
1: and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can
0: help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Alahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from the Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your
1: podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact,
4: What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Podpina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated staff writer, Rohan Kearney. Ro, how are you doing today, my man?
3: Well, Michael, if I'm being honest, as I, as I mentioned in our little pre-show chit-chat, I am feeling a little extra emotional after the weekend, not only because of, you know, another fascinating slate of NBA games but as I mentioned to you, I watched the To All the Boys I've Loved Netflix trilogy this weekend. And if you want to feel like a young South Asian immigrant again, I highly recommend watching these movies. Uh, they were really moving.
4: I have never dabbled in those waters. Okay, um, okay.
3: You're not a teen rom-com guy.
4: I'm a, I am ai mean, I'm a mid-90s rom-com okay. guy. I think you'll I like
3: this. It's a, It's a throwback to a different era.
4: Okay, that's wonderful. Uh we'll 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 save the deeper conversation on our, our other podcast um where <laughs> that, we break That'll down. be for the
3: off-season subscriber <laughs> special for sure. Yes, exactly.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um so look out for that. Um uh, but <laughs> Ron uh you know, it's Monday morning. We have a lot to get to on today's show after a particularly spicy weekend around the NBA. Uh, first, I want to thank our listeners across the globe for once again sending us incredible emails. Uh, please keep them coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. Send us questions about the playoffs, about, you know, the head coach hirings, uh, any rumors you're seeing, any great thoughts that you have about just what's unfolding in the NBA. Always appreciated. You guys are great. In this episode, we're going to squeeze everything we can out of the disgruntled Damian Lillard news that <laughs> popped up over the weekend uh, with some fake trades. I know everyone loves those, um, along with some head coaching news and Dennis Lindsay, uh, the architect of the top-ranked uh, Utah Jazz, who I guess, I don't even, I mean, it was worded as he took on an advisory role. He is basically stepping down, or, or I don't really know the inter. Um, uh, behind the scenes look there, but he is no longer the head lead decision maker in that front office. So we'll take a look at what that means for the Jazz. Uh, but first, as I'm sure you all remember in last week's episode, we had a fake draft, Rohan and I, um, and I took Chris Middleton with my second pick. And based on last night alone, just the remarkable performance that Chris Middleton had, I think it's official that I would pulver- my team would pulverize your team, Rohan. What are your thoughts about that?
3: Well, no, because I have the perimeter defenders to slow your team down, (laughs) as as we mentioned. And I think um, what we've really seen, I have the gutty, you know, the gutty team, you know, Uh, Devin Booker out there playing with a broken nose, still finding a way to get it done. Uh, Mikhail Bridges. Is he is, is is Devin Booker finding a way to get it done, or is he getting <laughs> I, shut down by Patrick Beverley? <laughs> <Neville? laughs> listen, I, I I like to measure success by wins and losses, not points. Okay. Michael, I don't know. Fair. I don't know how you like to measure things. Also, let's just you know, this is the same Chris Middleton who was shooting really poorly in that Game Seven against the Nets and got bailed out by Kevin Durant's half-size, too-big shoe. Is that the same Chris Middleton we're talking about? You know. I'm sorry. I realize that I've been saying you know way too much on this podcast. Please don't go back and listen to any old episodes because it's going to drive you crazy. But let's not overreact to one game, Michael. That's all I'm going to say.
4: Okay. Well, he's an Olympian and he's a multiple time All Star. (laughs) So shout out to Chris Middleton, (laughs) Olympian. Um, Yes, uh, iconic. Um, Rohan. So I mean, we'll we'll start with that's. uh, You know, we're recording this a day after. Uh, Game three of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, A lot happened in that game. Some weird stuff. Trey Young steps on one of the officials' uh, foot his uh, steps feet? on an official foot sp- <laughs> feet yeah it was like str- struggling to <laughs> no, figure out a what tough it, correct. That was a
3: tough one that was a tough one yeah he,
4: but anyway he twisted Trey young twisted his ankle he has. he's having an mri today the atlanta hawks as we're recording this are awaiting the results of it so we don't know exactly if he's going to be held out going forward but just was, what were your what was your uh, reaction to everything that kind of went down in game three of that series and kind of where it, it, it pitches us going forward
3: that was the first time all postseason the Hawks lost a game. I really thought they were going to win. It felt like the first time they seemed like a young team. I thought, you know, even blowout, even that blowout in Game Two, like blowouts happen in the playoffs weirdly more often than people I think remember. That was the first time it really felt like the Hawks were a young team. You know, they race out to that big lead uh, in the first half and qu- kind of aren't able to maintain it. At the same time, I think they had a great chance to win that game. Obviously, if Trey doesn't get hurt. I didn't love how long Nate McMillan kept John Collins out of the game after he picked up that fourth foul. I know it's easier said than done in hindsight's 2020. John Collins is playing, you know, four or five, uh, the the four or five power forward or center for these guys. He's going to have to guard Giannis. He's at greater risk of picking up that fifth foul than most people. He was out for so when he came back in the game, I literally was like, oh, yeah, John Collins was on this team. That's how long he was out for. And then obviously, Trey stepping on the official's foot, just such a freak occurrence. What are you going to do about that? He didn't look right to me in the fourth quarter. I mean, he's playing off the ball way more than he normally does. It felt like there was some, he had a couple plays where he was taking it to the rim looking for a shot, but the aggression just didn't feel there, especially in the series where I think in general, he's been tentative to go at Giannis on offense when he gets that switch especially on the on the ankle, it didn't look like he was aggressive and kind of trying to attack the Bucks defense. And beyond that, I think, like everyone, we've been really critical of Mike Budenholzer, an eyebrow raised with some of his decisions. The fact that he closed without Brook Lopez, I think Brook Lopez played only 24, 25 minutes. It's not that he's been bad, but Bud committing to going small and beyond that really tightening his rotation in this series, I think is a positive sign for the Bucks.
4: Yeah, I, I mean I, I I like how you bring up the switching, um, and how that did a really good job. I mean, obviously Trey was hampered with the ankle, and you know, he did not look like he normally does. I mean, he hit that uh like sidestep three in the fourth after he came back on, but then there was another play a couple possessions later where he caught a kick out and he passed it to, to Gallo instead of shooting, which I, I jotted down in my notes. That was very bizarre. That's not like him. Um, so I think that the, I mean, the Bucks. you're right. They they bench Brooke Lopez, who, um, you know, I think he's played pretty well in this series, all things considered. But they clearly love going small, switching everything, uh, one through five, and they had some success with that, I think. I mean, I, I haven't, I can't recall ever seeing the Bucks switch as much in the Mike Budenholzer era, as they did in, in game three. And they had a lot of success with it. I mean, there were some possessions where, you know, John Collins or Gallo were punishing Drew Holiday or, or P.J. Tucker or uh, Pat Connaughton um, on the block. But I think that those possessions are generally wins for a defense. Um, you know, you, you bog down Atlanta Hawks offense and get them playing iso ball with guys who aren't Trey young. That's just a win for you over the course of 48 minutes. So I think we'll see a lot more of that going forward, but I also agree with what you were saying about um, how like I thought the Hawks were going to win the game. Uh, And so, like, Chris Middleton, all jokes aside, was just, like, an absolute flamethrower superstar. That's just a game that you have to... He went absolutely berserk, could not miss. And you can't... The thing is, like, you can't just double Chris Middleton because, like, Giannis is on the team. And usually Giannis is setting a ball screen for him uh, and rolling to the basket. So when he has it going like that, they are very, very difficult to stop. So that's just one that... You just got to take that L if you're the For Hawks,
3: sure. And I also think if the Hawks do have a weakness right now, I don't think they have a stud wing defender that they can even throw on Middleton in that scenario that doesn't compromise them some way. I mean, you're not going to really put Solomon Hill on the floor as your quote-unquote defensive stopper in big fourth quarter minutes when he's not going to shoot the ball. They're really missing DeAndre Hunter right now, even if Cam Reddish could give them something. But they don't have a – it's not that – I think Herder and Bogdanovich have acquitted themselves pretty well on that end of the floor during the postseason, but they're not guys. They're not a Drew Holiday type where you say, "I need you to sh- to keep the ball out of this guy's hands for a possession. I need you to shut this guy down for a possession." They don't have that guy, and I think that really hurt them last night. They just didn't have anyone who could get Middleton out of his rhythm in the slightest.
4: Yeah, and also it was very interesting to me that. You know, you you brought up John Collins and the foul trouble, and I think he only played 23 minutes. They obviously need John Collins to play huge for them if they want to win this series, and he can't get in foul trouble. But Clint Capella did not play um, a second in the fourth quarter, um, and I was jotting down in my notes as I was watching the game, like, where is Clint Capella? Like, Onyeka Okongwu, who... Last night looked like he's going to win five defensive player. He player had a few good
3: moments. Career. He had a few yeah, good moments, huh?
4: Very, very exciting. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm just like, where is Clint Capella? Where is Clint Capella? Where is Clint? And uh, he did not get in late in the game. So that's another interesting wrinkle to kind of keep our eyes on. Um, he was plus eleven in the game too. Uh, Clint was so. That's, that's an interesting um, decision there, but it goes back to Milwaukee switching everything and Milwaukee going small in the fourth, and I think that um, that kind of forces Nate McMillan's hand a little bit, um, needing uh, as many offensive threats as you can have on the court um, in crunch time. Um, any other thoughts on this game, this series, Rohan? Um, I just, do you I feel hope, good I, about I, the Hawks still? I, or, or I would never?
3: be... <laughs> I would be shocked if Trey Young didn't play in game 4. Uh-huh. Just because he seems like the kind of guy who's going to try to gut this out no matter what. I'm pretty bummed if this ends up being a obviously there's been so many injuries. We don't need to talk about what the injuries have done to this playoffs, but I just hope Trey Young's able to go and able to play like he's been playing because I think this series really had the potential to go to the distance if Trey was if Trey were healthy. So, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I think these two teams are Evenly matched is maybe not the right phrase for it, but the matchups in the series are very interesting. And I'm impressed that the Hawks were right there in that fourth quarter, all things considered. And it took a pretty superhuman Middleton performance for the Bucks to pull away. Even when they did go small, even with all the problems they presented at Atlanta, I thought the Hawks were right there. And you get a great Middleton game plus a young injury on the same night for them to hang around as well as they did, I did, I just remain super impressed with Atlanta and how they handle adversity.
4: Yeah, agree. This series is, is very fun. I'm looking forward to the rest of it unfolding. Um, okay, so next, our next bit of news uh, Dennis Lindsay, last night it came out that um, the, uh, I don't, the president of basketball operations, whatever his specific title was, um, for so many years in Utah, he is uh, now an advisor to ownership. And not responsible for the day to day decisions, personnel decisions that are made by that organization. Uh, This.
3: How do I get a job where I'm not responsible, but I can just tell people (laughs) what to do? That sounds lovely.
4: (laughs) It is, it is great. I think you kind of have that role here, if I'm being honest. (laughs)
3: Oh, okay, cool.
4: um, You just didn't know it. I see. But, yeah. But, uh, you know, this, this news comes after obviously a very disappointing end to the season for the Jazz. Uh, and I guess, you know, I'm interested to see what it means for them personnel wise, how aggressive they are going to be potentially shaking things up. Your boy, Dwayne Wade is now over there and I'm sure he's got his, his voice in ownership's ear as he is a member of the ownership group. Um, just what do you like? Do you? Th- I think the point blank question is like: Is Rudy Gobert going to get moved? Um, I don't.
3: I would be shocked if this is a precursor to him getting moved this summer or this season. Mm-hmm. I do think when you have a new owner come in, typically they want to start bringing in some of their own people, right? I think uh, the Jazz have obviously been successful for years, so I don't. I don't think that. Uh, Ryan Smith, is that his name? The tech guy? It's Ryan something. <laughs> Let's, so, our buddy Ryan. We do research here. Yeah, we do. On we do.
4: Open flow. Yes. Well, I just. It,
3: for me, Dwayne is Wade is, is the is, owner of the Jazz. Yeah, there we go. For me, Dwayne Wade's the owner of the Jazz. So, you know, this Ryan guy, whatever. But the point is, I, I think that owners like to bring in their own people. I, I think we see that time and time again. And I don't think that the Jazz are going to rock the boat because of one postseason exit in what was a weird season. I think that they can still tinker around the margins and and have a very successful team. So I don't look at this as a precursor to Gobert being moved, only that you know they have a new ownership group and they probably want Mm -hmm. to bring in some of their own people.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, it would be seismic, obviously, if you move Rudy. He is really your identity on both ends of the floor and uh, your most important player. He just won Defensive Player of the Year. I think he just turned 29 like yesterday uh, his birthday was over the weekend um according to my um instagram scrolling <laughs> okay um so you know he's getting up there he obviously just signed the contract i don't know what his trade value would getting be, up honestly. there
3: getting up there i'm turning 29 this year man what, what are you saying
4: <laughs> you're not an nba player my man uh <laughs> You know, you're you're not in your prime yet. Uh, okay, he is, I appreciate He that. is in the prime, mm-hmm. potentially teetering out of the prime pretty soon. Also on a humongous contract, um, obviously limited offensively. Can't create his own shot. That's not great. And as we saw in Game Six of uh, the semifinals, you know, Terrence Mann just like totally went off, and uh, Rudy was a little bit helpless there. So yeah, I, I you know I don't know if. I'm just kind of speculating with this question here because I know that Dennis Lindsay really valued Rudy Gobert and his development and what he meant to the team. And so all of a sudden, I think that the the likelihood of a move um, goes up when the guy who drafted him, the guy who oversaw his development and all of his progress is now no longer making the calls. So that's take for that what you will. Um, Any more thoughts about Dennis Lindsay, Rohan, before we move on?
3: Only that I would be really surprised if the Jazz make a huge move to the roster for at least another year. I think that they are going to try to build off the success. They were the number one seed, and I think they'll try to build a more versatile team that still includes Rudy. But I do think new owners like to put their stamp on the situation more often than not. So if they they have another exit before the conference finals, then I think it's time to start thinking big moves.
4: I agree. And we should say that Mike Conley is eligible for a new contract. That is a humongous uh, question mark for the organization as we head into the offseason. Very, very uh, interesting to track um, in Utah.
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The
4: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Okay, so, Rohan, I put in our outline here, uh, Dame trades, and uh, before we kind of hop in with all of our hypotheticals, we should just uh, kind of lay out the situation in Portland very quickly. Um, There was a report by Yahoo's Chris Haynes that uh, Damian Lillard is... I'm gonna probably like butcher this description just because it's a it was a little
3: confusing to me it, personally. It but it felt purposefully confusing. Vague? Yeah, vague. Uh
4: yeah. So I mean Dame for basketball reasons alone, it's understandable, I think, that mm-hmm. Damian Lillard at this point in his career would um like to win a championship and like to play with other superstar caliber players. Um so from that perspective, I don't blame him even after signing a supermax to stay in Portland and all the things he said about loyalty. Um, I wouldn't, I don't think anyone should blame him for wanting to do what's best with him as his, oh, uh, as his career sort of evolves.
3: And he's given his all to the blazers. He's never been the kind of guy who felt like he had an eye out the door or whatever. I mean, he's truly, truly mm-hmm. given it his all uh, to this team and to no his question. teammates. Yeah.
4: He had one of the greatest games, uh, in NBA history. I mean,
3: I, I, I think we round. should just I think we should just call this report what it is. It felt like a precursor to Dame trying to ask out at some point. I think it's no secret to anyone who follows the sport closely that Lillard has a relationship with Chris Haynes. That's not to say that Dame is the quote unquote source for this story, but I think Haynes is plugged in with what Damian Lillard wants, even if he hasn't made a decision yet. And I think that You hit the nail on the head. For basketball reasons, it's very clear why he may want out. And I think the report coming out that Lillard is... I guess the the report framed it as he's upset with the way fans have reacted to his level of involvement in the Billups hire, which Lillard says he didn't have a high level of involvement. There are reports that saying he had ownership's ear. Regardless whether or not he's upset at a few fans or a lot of fans on social media who are coming after him, it all, to me, just feels like this is kind of what you say publicly when you realize for basketball reasons you might be trying to get out of here.
4: Right. And for even more context, we should say that Chauncey Billups was hired, um, given a five-year contract over the weekend to become the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers after they interviewed Mike D'Antoni, um, after they interviewed Becky Hammond, the assistant in the San- with the San Antonio Spurs, And I'll just speak frankly, Um, I did not know about the sexual assault allegation um, that uh, occurred in 1997 with Chauncey Billups before this weekend. So I I personally was not aware of it. And I think that that is what has overshadowed um, Chauncey's hire to a degree with that coming out. Chauncey Billups, obviously has been around for quite a bit. Right now as we speak, he is an assistant coach for the Los Angeles Clippers. He worked for ESPN for years. He uh, had a a well-decorated NBA career as a player. Um, And he has interviewed for head coaching positions um, and spoken about wanting to be a GM um, for years. So uh, that comes out right now. And... That certainly muddies things a great deal. And I think that, you know, um, I, I don't think that Dame, as you said at the top, I don't think Dame should be blamed at all for wanting Chauncey to be his coach, particularly. I think Damian Lillard tweeted that he was unaware of those allegations also, um, when he made his claim that he wanted Jason Kidd or, or Chauncey Phillips to be the next head coach. But, I guess, Ro, just like, what is your, what are your feelings about the Portland Trailblazers still hiring Chauncey, who we should say, um, uh, uh, denied, um, sexually assaulting the woman who brought a lawsuit against him and Ron Mercer and Antoine Walker back in 1997, um, and has said that, uh, uh, their, the relationship was consensual. Um, Um, we should just throw that out there also. Uh, so, just what what is your uh, what are your feelings about this hire, given everything that has gone on um, and kind of materialized and come to the fore over the weekend?
3: So, this is obviously a pretty heavy situation, and I know that people don't typically listen to NBA podcasts for you know long conversations about the issues in our society. Mm-hmm. All, all I can. I, I understand why people are upset and I, I don't think it's just women who should be upset, right? I, something that happens in all. this something that happens in this scenario is people are like, Well, how are women fans going to feel? This isn't, you know, a burden that only needs to be carried by a certain group of people. And like you, I had no idea this existed about Chauncey Billups. And that in and of itself is a problem, right? Because these things get glossed over. He's been someone who's been respected in the league for so long, been on TV on ESPN. Like you mentioned, uh, Clippers assistant coach was rumored to become the Cavs president for a hot second there. It never came up during those during those times. It's And what does that say of us? What does that say of the, the role of people like you and me in the media who maybe aren't bringing those things up, that aren't putting, um, you know, these jobs for him in, in the proper context? So it's complicated. I... On a personal level like i i don't i would like to believe that Chauncey billis is the kind of person who could have redeemed himself and and done what he can to kind of right these wrongs well these this is obviously a, a very very serious wrong, and I think we're all kind of figuring this out in in real time and can I say for sure that he should have this job I don't know i I really don't know and i for people who are like, this is unfair, this is crazy, this is obvious that he shouldn't be the head coach of this team. I don't know. I can't argue against them. How can I say that that's a a wrong opinion? I think it just it's obviously just a larger problem that we have where people who are involved in these situations of sexual assault, sexual misconduct, so often are very quickly accepted back into what they're doing because. Sports is largely run by men, right? So it's easy to look over what, what Chauncey did for people in power. And it's frustrating. It, it's frustrating. And it, especially when the Blazers came out and looked like they were doing this, this really wide search. And maybe they were going to hire Don Stanley. Maybe they're going to hire Becky Hammond. And to kind of do the quote-unquote opposite in terms of public perception, it's it's really disappointing. And I I can't say I'm ecstatic about the hire or, or because – Obviously, we don't know, and I I don't want to sit here and say with say in a definitive manner. I think you know Chauncey Billups did X Y Z, but it's it's just disheartening to say the very very least.
4: Yeah, I think that that's that's really well put. It's obviously a thorny situation. Uh, you know, you get into these conversations about redemption, second chances, uh, and. I think that that's an interesting angle just because there was never any consequences. For so sure. For sure. What I- are we – like he's been in the public life for this long and um, I – if I if, – if look, I am from Boston. Um, I was, what, nine years old in 1997, something like that, eight years old. So I, I wasn't – I don't remember if that was in the news then. I doubt it was, frankly, uh, to a large degree because the world in 1997 is not the world in 2021, but for him to um, not acknowledge or this not to be in the discourse since until now really is doubly frustrating for a variety of reasons um, and does no one any good. And so right now it's overshadowing him becoming a head coach, a black man in the NBA with all of... Uh, the um, intricate complexities that happen with diversity hires and we can't celebrate that aspect of it so it's very troubling and uh, yeah it's it's just I, a bummer I, I think
3: I, I will say that i I hope he and the organization do address it in some way Again, I don't know I don't know what the right thing for him to say is and you know we're focusing so much on him and and not the purpose perp- person who who said that he did these things to them. It's tough, man. It's really tough. And I I think that this situation, if anything, should open up a, a much bigger conversation about, like you said, no consequences. The fact that he got this far in his career in the first place with no one ever bringing this up, I think speaks not only to his lack of consequences, but the collective failure of, the media and and so many other people to just basically ignore this, just ignore this. And uh, it's it's frustrating. Like you said, there's so many layers to this. In so many other situations, someone like him getting this position would be great for the league in so many ways. At the same time, how many former players are there who are good leaders or who are great players that were never involved in a situation like this? Uh, yeah, man, I, I I hope that they do address it. And I think they, they owe it to their fans. They owe it to uh, people like you would be concerned citizens to address this in some manner, in some way.
4: Right. Just real quick before we move on. I think it just, it speaks to the, uh, even beyond the Chauncey Billups case individually, it speaks to the culture of the NBA when someone like this gets hired. And I think that's the important thing to point out because there are players in the league who have, um, been accused of similar things, who are still lionized to this day, and there's there's a list of them. Honestly, you can go look it up. So uh, that is that's disturbing. Um, so it speaks more broadly to. Um, just what's happening around the league and how we still have so far to come as a media the media conglomerate um who's covering the league, who's able to speak out against this stuff and
3: and who gets hired into positions of power so uh oh, well, one more thing I'll add on to that i I hope the league office i i I don't know when our next availability with Adam Silver is maybe it'll be at the finals uh, if I'm there, I, I plan on asking about it, but I, I think the league also. If they want to position themselves as champions of social justice and all these initiatives, you know, position themselves as, quote unquote, progressive position themselves as a a place where women are treated as equals, I think that they also have to address uh, this issue. And I I hope Adam Silver is, is put on the spot at some point.
4: Right. And there's, there's really, honestly, I agree with that. There's really, honestly, no way to uh, segue from this conversation <laughs> yeah. to uh, fake trades involving Damian Lillard, but we're going to do our best right now. Um, so, Rohan, I asked you for uh, three fake okay, trades. Okay. Can, can I give you
3: mine? Can I give you mine three in a row? Can I give you mine three in a row? Wow.
4: Um, sure. If you want to do it like that, I'm not going to I kind of do. You.
3: I kind of do because my last one's a real wild card. And okay. I, I don't know if I hate it or if it's the best idea or the dumbest idea I've ever had, so I want to build to that one if you don't mind.
4: Sure. Before you do, um I just want to read a quick email that we have from from Colin B, and I probably should have read this email uh <laughs> before we started talking, but Colin really hit the nail on the head in what we were going to to discuss in today's episode. So, um so Colin writes Uh, Hey, guys, I am not sure if you're aware, but there was a Chris Haynes article posted today about Dame, (laughs) possibly on the brink of demanding a trade. Uh, Colin, we we were aware. Thank you so much. most of this is stemming from the recent controversial hire of Chauncey Billis. I am curious to see how much stock you put into this article as well as the situation as a whole. And that if you foresee Dame being in another jersey. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Colin. And th- so that is exactly what we were about to discuss. Um, if we foresee Dame being in another jersey. And I mean, uh, real quick, I do foresee that as a total possibility, this is the NBA. Anything can happen, even when you just signed a Supermax. And you're 30 years old and you're 6'2". I, it doesn't matter. You're a superstar. Dame Lillard is a superstar. He's one of the 10 best players in the world. No question about it. Um, okay, bro. So let's let's go with the fake trades now. Um, hit me with your first one.
3: I think this might be my favorite one. Okay. So the Toronto Raptors are going to send the Blazers Fred Van Vliet, Chris Boucher, the number four pick, and however many future firsts it takes to get it done, and they get back Damian Lillard.
4: Okay. Um I I like this a lot. Can you can you break down for me while I process this? Can you of break course. down why you like it for both sides?
3: So why I like it for Portland is I think they get to remain competitive, and Vliet's a really good player. He's obviously not Dame, but he's a great defender. I think he's someone who can pair well with CJ McCollum. A proven playoff performer. I think he's a really good really good guy to have on your team. Boucher, I think, gives them insurance if case, in case Nurkic doesn't want to come back this summer. He was being vague in his postseason press conference. He gives them a stretch look at center if they want that. The number four pick allows them to bring in someone young. Uh, they can bring up along Van Vliet and McCollum if they eventually do decide to tear things down. Uh, they have a potential star in the waiting there with the number four pick. And they mm-hmm. get a couple, you know, future firsts that you know it takes to get done deals done these days. Toronto, I think that this is a vintage Maasai move, right? These are the kinds of home run swings he takes. I think Lillard gets them right back into the contention conversation in the East. You know, they'd have a potential lineup. You could have Siakam, Ananobi, Lillard, Gary Trent <laughs> reunited with Lillard. I think that's a really good one through four to have in a playoff series. So I, I really think it could bo- work out for both sides.
4: So I mean, if you're Toronto, it's kind of a no-brainer. I would say, yeah, uh, like, yeah, Dame. I'm gonna when I go through. I mean, my rationale for why I think um, this particular rumor is so interesting is that unlike the Harden trade rumors, Dame is under contract for four through, years. Yeah, um, it, he has it's a unlike any other. Unlike
3: option. any yeah. other superstar trade, I agree. The haul is going to be, I think, beyond what we can imagine. I just think that this is a a not quite a star, but as close as you could get to being a star without a star in Van Vliet. a solid rotation player, a very high draft pick, and more draft picks. I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good haul. But maybe you don't love it, so maybe you like maybe you like my next trade more.
4: I no, I I, I okay. like this. I'm not ready to move on. Okay. Um, okay. I'm processing this right now. I I like it a lot, actually. I think that the the clear first of all, if you're Toronto, can you win the title? I think is the question. Um personally, I would say yes, you can win the title. Um if Dame is your best player and you have Siakam and an Obi, if you re-sign Gary Trent. Um I I think if you're Portland, the number four pick is really what you want there. That's mm-hmm. the no. I mean, like when you give up a superstar, um,
3: it's the rare trade that allows you to remain competitive while also rebuilding.
4: True. Very true. Uh, so I, I mean, I like, I like it a lot. Um, losing Fred Van Fleet, basically like you are also losing Kyle Lowry. I would assume mm-hmm. he's not yes. going to be back in the picture. And so you're losing one of the best defensive backcourts, uh in the NBA and kind of replacing that with someone who is not known for his defense. So that's I do, a little I
3: do think they'd have three really good defenders on the wing to help compensate between Ananobi Trent and Siakam if they're able to bring back Trent.
4: Right. And I think that as we've seen with the Atlanta Hawks, you know, if your if your point guard is not the greatest defender. You can still make a deep run um, if he is just so scintillating on the offensive end as Damian Lillard obviously is. So I, I mean, I like this uh, a lot. So one for one for you, Rohan, you're one for okay. one. Okay.
3: So this next trade then might be worse. I thought maybe you'd like it more, <laughs> which is why I saved it for a second. Okay. The Pelicans send the Blazers, Brandon uh-huh. Ingram, Josh Hart, the number 10 pick, and every pick they acquired in the Lakers and Bucks trades. <laughs> <laughs> so and all the spots. I,
4: yes, so I had uh, the Pelicans as one of my suitors. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you my please fake fake one, and it was Dame and Robert Covington for Brandon Ingram, Eric Bledsoe, Jackson oh. Hayes and either the lakers first round pick in 2024 or the bucks first round pick in 2025 um i don't think that if you're the pelicans you need to give up that much draft capital you honestly. probably
3: don't but i do think th- they need to send the number 10 pick no matter what
4: okay well so we'll throw in the number 10 pick then also um that's a good call by you so that's a, i mean that's look you get the uh, uh, you get the franchise building block, young, very. Um, I mean, Brandon Ingram was an All Star last year. He's a very good player. Obviously, I'm a big fan. Um, you get him to build around, and then you have two, maybe three first round picks that are very coveted. I think particularly. I mean, Lakers or Bucks, honestly, in two in 2024, 2025, those picks are like kind of ridiculous.
3: I um, I definitely want to have the Lakers one then. I definitely am going to want to have the Lakers win that.
4: That's fair. That's fair. Um, unprotected, and I mean, that's just, that is going to be, a, that's a gold brick right there. <laughs> so I, I, I agree. And then in my fake um, kind of calculation here, I threw in Robert Covington just because if you're the Pelicans and you make a move like this, you're trying to like, you're trying to make a deep playoff run, like right yes. away. Yes. Oh, really.
3: the, they need talent around Zion. There's obviously already talk about maybe he wants out. David Griffin, I think, is the kind of aggressive GM who's going to respond to something like that. I think to your Covington point, Dame and Zion are slowing no one down. So they need they're gonna need help.
4: Right. And I mean you can close a playoff series with Hart. Hart is not in my deal here, right. but he's in he's in yours. So you have Dame, you have Hart, you have Rocco, you have Zion, and then you have a fifth guy. I don't know exactly who that would be. Um, but I, yeah, I uh, I, I love the Pelicans here. I, I just want so many nationally televised Pelicans games next yes. season. Like, whatever we have to do to get Zion on national television even more, because he is what I miss the most right now when I think about the NBA, and not being able to watch him play for this many months has been – personal torture so we got to get the pelicans really good and yeah. dame with zion i mean that pick and roll is what are you doing you're, you're dying is what you're doing you're not there's no there's no way to guard that so i i like that one you're two for two
3: this one is the real this is the controversial one okay uh, yes let's go Th- this is the trade that's either gonna make you think i'm a basketball genius. You're gonna put me in Daryl Morey's front office, or you're never gonna invite me back on this podcast.
4: Are we? Are we sending Peyton Pritchard back home? Straight <laughs> up, is that what it is?
3: We are doing <laughs> Damian Lillard for Paul George. Straight up.
4: Okay. Yeah. Um. This is not. This is not crazy to me.
3: Okay. Um.
4: I think that. I mean, look, I don't think it'll ever happen. So I should say that before I say that. I don't think nor, it's, do I, like, nor do I. Nor do I. Um, particularly how PG has kind of acquitted himself in the playoffs. I think he's been, I mean, look, he, he goes 12 for 18 from the free throw line in game four. If he makes more free throws there, if he makes more free throws at the end of game two, was it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Game two, uh, you know, they win both those games. Um, That said, I think he's played excellent basketball, even though it's been inefficient, but the load he's been asked to carry without Kawhi, um, I'm not ever going to get on PG after what he's done. So, um, I don't know what the appetite there is to move on from someone who is as valuable in the defensive end and and obviously allows you to go small and play the lineups that the Clippers have had so much success with. Uh, but, I mean, just like straight up, who's, who's better?
3: I don't West? know. I really don't know. I think Lillard, I think, screams out as obvious this guy's better just because of his scoring ability. But in a playoff series, I think you can make an argument for George just because of, like you said, the versatility he gives you. He can play four positions if you really wanted to stretch him and play center and go super small in in some kind of scenario. In the last five minutes of a playoff game, I know it sounds crazy because of how good Lillard is as a scorer, but you can make an argument for both guys. The reason I threw this trade out is because now the real nuclear one is Kawhi for Dame that I don't think we're ready to touch, and I think I know immediately sounds insane, but you just yes. look at Kawhi. You just look at Kawhi's injury history and you wonder. Anyway, if, if the reason why one of the Clippers we're always talking about—they need a point guard, they need a table setter. I know Dame is obviously a score first guy, and he's not like a Chris Paul. Let me get everyone set up for three quarters and then go hunt my own shot, but. The fact that he can handle the ball, I think, would help the Clippers a lot. And I do think, for what it's worth, he'd still give L.A. a lot of versatility. They've played small without Kawhi, right? So I think this would be a similar scenario. They'd still be able to play small, etc. Who's better in a vacuum? I think Damian Lillard is better. In a playoff series, it gets a little more tricky.
4: I'm not really even ready to say who I think think is I actually yeah, I am I would probably side with Dame um, I think that hmm first of all I think that Dame first of all Dame's younger by about a year I think and as well as Paul George's well, we know ball. you
3: think people are washed when they're 28 years old that's that's important in this well I,
4: I was literally about to just play both sides of the fence and say <laughs> that when it comes to Dame even though he's undersized, even though he's 30 about to turn 31. Um you look at Chris Paul, you look at Steph Curry. Like I the contract that he's on is fair to me. It's yes. so much money, but it's it's fair. I think he will live up to it. I think he will be a superstar in this league for the foreseeable future. I don't think we're going to see any major decline out of him, honestly. And if even if you if you put him next to more talent than he's ever had, I think he'll even be more efficient. So, yeah. So, I just want to, I want to play both sides, straddle both sides of the fence okay. there, Rohan, if you'll allow me. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't see Paul George just like going to Portland and being like, all
3: right. <laughs> he's a Nike guy. Are. Hey, he's a Nike guy. They'd be, I think they'd have a really good team. I don't think they'd be a title contender, but I think they'd have a really good team.
4: They would be very good, and that backcourt just makes a lot more sense. Um, they could play very interesting lineups, and yeah, he gives them more size for sure. Obviously, um, okay. So that yeah, that was a wild uh, hypothetical. I, I like it a lot. Um, can I can I now bless you with a couple that I yes, came up with?
3: Please, please. I know that you you told me you texted me last night, and you were like, I have like nineteen <laughs> trades lined up. So I appreciate you editing it down, but I'm excited to hear what you came up with.
4: So I had four and I already told you my Pelicans one. Okay. Okay. So a couple of these aren't, I don't think these are that crazy to be honest, but I I think that they, I'm just like, we already said that what makes this so interesting is Dame, like he can't hold his free agency over whoever wants to acquire Mm -hmm. him. So it kind of opens things up. On one hand it opens things up, on the other hand like even if the
3: Cavaliers. Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. yeah,
4: even if the Cleveland Cavaliers were like here's all this young talent we want Dame, I just I don't think that makes sense. I don't think it's going to happen. Cavaliers. I think
3: Portland will do right by him in a scenario in which he does ask out. They're not going to take a bad trade. They're going to get a good deal, but I think he goes to a contender.
4: Right. I, I agree. Or a team that could at least become one with his presence. So the first hypothetical I have for you is, I mean, it involves someone who we've discussed heavily on this podcast um, over the past week or so. And it's with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't think this is particularly original, but Ben Simmons, Tyus Maxey, two unprotected first round picks in this year's draft and 2023 uh you know i am not the biggest ben simmons fan um i think that you can potentially get better young talent for or more intriguing young talent too that's that's cheaper also that gives you a little bit of a longer runway to rebuild than ben simmons and his the max contract that he's on but it is very fascinating to just imagine what Simmons would look like in a different environment where he's able to play the five. Um, he has a little bit less pressure on him. He's not encumbered to play beside a low post behemoth like Joel Embiid. And then on the flip side, Damon Joel Embiid is, I mean, yeah. just can't. Like going it to would the final If you're not going to the finals, I don't know what to tell you. Then... Yeah, it's, My, that's that's an unstoppable duo.
3: So like you said, I think a lot of people have floated that trade out. My issue with that trade is a week ago we were talking about McCollum for Simmons and why that's maybe feasible for both sides. If you're Portland, why are you now giving up Dame for him? Wouldn't you rather make the McCollum swap and see if you can convince Dame to stay? So that one, that's why I, I blanched at that one a little bit. Like I said, I don't think that that's you – getting in the lab. I think that's one people are talking about in general. Right. I just don't see Portland going for that when Simmons' value is at an all-time low. I don't know how you... I don't think Simmons is getting moved for a top 10 player in the NBA.
4: Very fair. I would concur. I don't think that this one's going to happen. Um, this next one, I, I love because... Well, I'll just, I'll just say it. I mean, it's kind of obvious why I love it. Uh, it's with the Golden State Warriors. Ooh. And it's James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, both of Golden State's first-round picks in this year's draft and an unprotected first in 2026. Uh, I mean, I think the, the number one thing that people would say when you look at Golden State as a trade partner here is that Steph and Dame can't coexist to that. I say, uh, you're an idiot. Um,
3: (laughs) to that, I say Damon McCollum, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to
4: to that, I say that this, this would just be the greatest offense we've ever seen. I also
3: think the Nets have shown that defense is slowly going out of the window in this league. Like if you can get, that would be the Nets West equivalent that you make that move a hundred times out of a hundred.
4: Uh, dare I say it would be better better? I do think it would be better because.
3: Ooh, that's a look, stra- that's straight, a, straight d- up look. Dame, Steph, and Clay versus Kyrie, Harden, and Durant. Ooh, that's interesting. Look, I think Durant is so unfair that I understand that you can go one by one and be like, well, this guy's better. That I think Durant is so unfair that it outweighs it, but I'll let you make your argument. I mean, the
4: season Steph just had really yeah. kind of proves that yeah. he's also not on this planet. Um, the, the season Dame just had, the performance—he, I can't. I mean, look, the performance he had in the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets—you just can't. If you watch that game live, it was a religious experience. So, um, obviously, he is still in his own stratosphere as um, an L- outside L- shooter.
3: In a in a vacuum, who would you rather have, Dame or Harden? Uh,
4: hmm. <laughs> I, I would. I mean, I'd, I'd probably go with Harden. Not gonna lie. Steph um, or Durant? Look, okay, stop. Just stop. I don't like where <laughs> this sorry, is going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't like where this is going. Um, but
3: <laughs> no, it, just, you, it would be interesting. It would be so interesting. It would be so interesting. That's it's a like what really. Do you, how do you yeah, guide him? You don't. You don't. You don't. You pray. You literally pray. Here's... I would love that trade. I would love to see that happen. It would be thrilling, obviously. I just don't think the 7 and 14 picks are good enough to get it done. I think Wiseman can be really good in the right scenario. He was thrust, I think, into an uncomfortable position as a rookie on a team that many expected to contend. And I don't think Kerr always used him in the right ways. I just don't think picks 7 and 14 are good enough to get that trade done. I don't think – Wiggins to me is like salary at that point. You're not making that trade for Andrew Wiggins. So you look at it as are Wiseman 7-14 a future first really enough to get it done for Portland? I'd be very curious if the Blazers would make that move. To me, there's just not enough draft capital to get it done, even though Wiseman I do think is an underrated aspect of the trade.
4: And if you are Portland and you have um, you have that offer on the table, and let's say you have another offer that's comparable, sending Dame to um, San Francisco, the Bay Area, where he's from, Oakland, I think would just be like a wonderful um, like it would like send off. It I don't would, even know but do you also
3: want to send him to a conference rival that has dominated the last decade? Knocked you out of the playoffs, and now (laughs) yes,
4: sure, (laughs) yeah. Um, But if you're Portland, look, if you're Portland, your mentality after moving on from Damian Lillard is all right. We are real, we're we're rebuilding, so we're moving CJ. We're getting draft capital for Mm. CJ. We're moving everybody else. Uh, We're starting over around Wiseman. We're building on Wiseman. We're building around um, whoever we draft with these picks. Uh, that's the mentality, I think, if you're Portland, once you move on from. Dame. Like, I don't, unless you're getting, like, I don't, I just don't know what players. And I guess uh, this leads me into my next fake one, um, which is uh, an interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll let you tell me what you think here. Um, so it's the Minnesota Timberwolves.
3: Okay. Hate it already. Continue.
4: And, and it is a dame for Ricky Rubio. Period. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Dame, Dame for Ricky Rubio, uh, Malik Beasley, and Anthony Edwards. Uh, and I guess I'll I'll sell it to you by just saying that you get if you're Portland, you get the piece who you can build around. Number one pick, Anthony Edwards. I personally think he's just going to be a superstar in the NBA someday. And like that is your foundation right there. He's also the greatest on camera interview, yes, of all time in the history of <laughs> cameras. Um, so I, I do, I do like that for Portland. That's something that they can immediately get excited about. They won't necessarily be competitive, but you can then move on. I think from CJ, you can move on and you can rebuild. You could probably flip Malik Beasley. You can rebuild there um, around the guy who just has that pedigree. Um, and I think can carry a franchise on his shoulders, over the next five, ten years. This is another
3: trade that's essentially damn for Anthony Edwards, right? Because Rubio and Beasley. I think Minnesota would need to throw in two future firsts, and those firsts have to come in after Dame's contract is over. So you'd need like a 2026 first and a 2028 first. And then I think you consider it. Okay.
4: So you would do it then if you got those picks?
3: I think so. I'm maybe not quite as high on Edwards as you are, even though I think he's really good. I just think that... I don't know that I necessarily even agree with this. I just think the way GMs do these trades right now is they don't want the sure thing. They don't want the guy who's already established to a degree. They want the hope of getting the next great guy... With a draft pick because that's easier. I think it's easier to be hopeful than to trade for a Ben Simmons and be like, we know exactly who this is. And I'm not saying they know exactly who Edwards is. I think to your point, I think he obviously can become an all star. He's great scoring potential, etc. I just think that the way the league works now is the GMs would rather have the picks because you can you sell can hope. Kind of, yeah, it's a hope. It's a You'd rather take the chance on the unknown than the known, I think, oftentimes in this league.
4: So, I guess that, that that brings me to like, if you are, I mean, there's all these other teams that aren't contenders that we didn't really discuss. And I, obviously, the Timberwolves are not a contender, right. but I also, also want to just throw
3: this out there. I don't think the Lakers are getting him, and I don't think the can put together a good offer. Continue.
4: I was hoping we did not mention either of those organizations on this <laughs> podcast. So our, our great producer, Shelby, I hope that you you cut that out.
3: <laughs>
4: um, <laughs> um, but I, I I as I was saying, like there are um, organizations that are not on the level of championship contention that are interesting here from the perspective of they have a lot of draft capital, like you have and young talent um so Oklahoma like Oklahoma City I, I wasn't thinking about them because their runway seems like it's just I, never ending um but I, I was thinking about like um Orlando or um or even Detroit honestly I mean you have the number one pick or Houston you have all Detroit of was an
3: interesting one to me Detroit was an interesting one to me and I was trying to build something around the number one pick you send back maybe Jeremy Grant the number one pick, some salary filler. It's interesting. It's interesting. Could you do something like Sadiq Bey, the number one pick, and Jeremy Grant for Dame?
4: Sadiq Bay, untouchable. I'm wow. um, sorry. That's just not that's not happening. Um no, I, I but you know what I mean? Like if you are moving on from Dame, you want I want the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. I want uh, the number two pick in this draft, and I want uh, an unprotected or whatever pr- lightly protected future first from you because you're going to be bad even if you have Dame. Um, I will
3: say I do think that and I hope this is an opportunity for the small market teams, the the guy, the teams that aren't players in free agency. This guy's under contract for four years. He seems to me like the kind of player that genuinely just wants to win. I don't think he cares about living in a glamour city, et cetera, Portland's a great city, by the way. That's not an insult to Portland or many of the great NBA cities around America. Point being, this is where small markets – listen, this is your chance. The guys under contract for four years put together a package because I don't – this is an opportunity the Clevelands, the Charlottes, the Detroits of the world rarely get.
4: So what if the Orlando Magic traded for Dame and then hired Terry Stotts? What would your <laughs> what would your thoughts be there? <laughs>
3: Uh, I I would be upset because I think Penny Hardaway becoming the coach there would be so fun. That's awesome. I'm all for that. That seems like a really okay. cool development. That would be pretty funny. I would just be happy yeah. if the Magic aren't don't still have nine power forwards on the team because theoretically they'd have to trade one or two of them. Uh, in this yeah. move, but the Magic have been just a the way station for NBA. Like if you're between the height of six eight six ten, you've probably played for the Orlando Magic. Uh, at some point, out of position, playing small forward for them. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
0: Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with the seven every weekday. So follow the seven right now.
2: Live Nation
0: presents Concert Week.
2: Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25.
3: Can I hit you with my on-the-spot, I-want-to-see-your-reaction question of the week? That's what we're calling of this segment.
4: Absolutely, absolutely.
3: Okay, this is a two-parter, okay? Who would you rather have on your team for the next five years, and who is better right now? DeAndre Ayton or Bam Adebayo?
4: Okay, so I, I love this question, and I think... I think, you know, it's really difficult for me to personally say anyone is better than Bam Adebayo at basketball, so I'm going <laughs> to stick with, I think Bam is better than DeAndre Ayton, um, who, by the way, is, um, I think I'm going to be writing about him this week, potentially, and I, I mean, I can't, it's impossible to be more impressed with his postseason run. I mean, I tweeted over the weekend that he's the MVP of the Conference I, Finals. I feel like he, I
3: write about him every time I write something, or off one of these games. He's been incredible. Yeah. Who would you rather have for the uh, next five years, Aiton or Bam?
4: So yeah, that is that is uh, that's a spicy meatball right there. I. That's
3: the that's the meme that was going around this weekend of the Italian soccer player just pleading with the ref <laughs> with two mamma mia hands. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the Aiton Bam question. Uh, this one.
4: This one's really interesting because, man, I don't want to step on.
3: Can I I tell you why I'm asking it? Can I tell you why I'm asking it? Please,
4: please, please, please.
3: I think the NBA game is three games right now. There's the regular season. Okay. There's the first two rounds of the playoffs. Then there's the last six minutes of the finals and conference finals. Players who succeed in the first two don't necessarily succeed in the last one. And I'm not saying Bam, we saw him succeed in the conference finals against your Boston Celtics, by the way, blocking mm. Jason Tatum, dominating Daniel Tice in that game six. Having said that... Well, he's a that, former,
4: former Celtic, but continue.
3: <laughs> having said that, has Bam ever had the offensive stretch that Aiton has had for the first three rounds of this playoffs? And it, listen, Bam's a great offensive player in terms of, Throw him the ball at the elbow, let him operate, etc. At the same time, I think he gets a lot of criticism for not being aggressive enough, not looking for a shot enough. Jimmy Butler has publicly said he needs to shoot more. Aiton, on the other hand, not having a single play called for him, and he's putting up 20 tens every night. I just I think it's an interesting question. I think it's an interesting question, and but I think we are both just so impressed with how well Ayton has played.
4: So one of the really interesting things was after I tweeted just um, off purely off emotion that Ayton was the MVP, I actually looked up the on-off numbers for the series, and they are dreadful for DeAndre Ayton, which, look, we're dealing with small a small sample size and all that. <laughs> and these games have been very competitive, and one of them was um, you know, uh, the Clippers. It wasn't a blowout, but the Clippers kind of handled uh, game three, I would say, especially when Ayton was on the floor. Uh, you know, I think that Bam obviously offers a little bit more versatility on the defensive end, even though Aiton has just been phenomenal on that side of the ball. And Aiton's rebounding and just his physical presence. I mean, he's bringing rebounding back into style, frankly. He uh, is. And showing the value of it, really. So he,
3: The thing, the the value proposition you have to make here is, does Bam's defensive versatility outweigh the fact that I think... Aiton is a little bit more disruptive offensively and on the and on the glass. Because I think, mm. bam, if you want to switch one through five, he is going to play better one-on-one defense against Steph Curry or Kevin Durant than Aiton is. But can Aiton give you 75% of that switchability while being so much more disruptive everywhere else? Because Aiton in a way BAM does not for almost forces you to stay big, which is what we've seen the Clippers do with Zubach, right? They're being forced to stay big right now in a way that you don't have to with BAM. It's just very fascinating because like I said, it's it's regular season versus the first two rounds of the playoffs versus the last six minutes of the finals or conference finals.
4: So one thing I've been thinking about you know you you mentioned correctly that Ayton is forcing the Clippers to stay big. I think if Kawhi Leonard was healthy
3: yeah, more no, men gets true. paid.
4: Uh, they would, they would be small with Kawhi <laughs> or, at the five or could you at the
3: five. Could you imagine if Anthony Davis never gets hurt? What's the conversation like? What would have happened to DeAndre Ayton? Like the butterfly effect of that injury and what it's done for Ayton's career? Frankly, the way people are talking about him now. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have succeeded in that series. He might have played really well, but the Lakers might have won anyway. And the conversation mm-hmm. about DeAndre Ayton is completely different. I mean, maybe he's not getting the full max. I don't know. It's just, it's been a wild postseason for him in particular.
4: It's an interesting point. I I, I think that the. If uh, I'd asked you
3: that question at the start of the season, we would have been laughing. It would have been like us slapping oh, our no knees, question. laughing.
4: That's because we don't know anything. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no, but, you know, going back to just offense really quick. Look, I mean, you got to look at the situations. you got to look at who's around who. Um, Aiton is a play finisher. Bam is able to finish plays and also initiate offense. And maybe Aiton gets to that that level. I think he can at some point in his career. He's not a bad passer. Mm -hmm. He can shoot. He's probably a better shooter than Bam is right now, I would say. He's looked Um, more
3: confident shooting those mid-range pull-ups than Bam did. In the postseason, Aiton also has the benefit of playing with Chris Paul, kind of the ultimate... 100%. Big He's running, man, cheat yeah. code, yeah.
4: He's running these high pick-and-rolls with Chris, who's the greatest pick-and-roll operator of all time. He's, you know, um, uh, engineering these, these dribble handoffs with, with Devin Booker that really stretch the defense, and then hard-rolling. So... Yeah, like, Aiton's just kind of in a perfect situation. And mm-hmm. I, I, this is not meant to take anything away from him because he's going to get the max. He deserves the max. And he's been absolutely phenomenal in the playoffs. And he's filled his role, which, by the way, is not something that every young player would do. So you have to give him credit. I think I would still go with Bam in for both um of the questions, though, because I just think it's a little easier... To if I have Bam as my foundation, it's a little easier for me to know what I can and can't put around him, um, and I just have more options, I should say, and what I can and can't put around him than with Aiden. So that's that's probably by the slimmest of margins the direction I would go in.
3: Cool. All How right. about you? What's your answer? Oh shoot! I, I, this was me putting you on the spot. I'm oh, to go the other way around. I, you know, I. I think I'm with you. I'm still going BAM just because I, I want to see a longer, more sustained version of the Aiton we're seeing. I mean, this is someone who I think early in the season, in the fourth quarters, it was like, is this guy going to play in the fourth quarter of a playoff game? So I just want to see more sustained play of this from Aiton before I'm, I'm willing to commit. But I think he's – the fact that it's a conversation now, I think is a testament to how well he's played during the playoffs
4: right and we should also say that the clippers i tweeted this out over the weekend the clippers are plus three in this series um, heading into tonight's game five and i guess that just that just means that these games have been very competitive of course go a yeah. lot of them could go either way honestly so i don't think la's out Suns of it i don't down, think
3: la's out of it
4: no question and i didn't want to talk too much about that series in this episode just because game five is tonight so it would be a little bit dated but I'm with you. I think that the Clippers can totally come back and win this series. And (laughs) Once they
3: lose by 50 tonight, we'll just have to, we'll cut out the end of of this podcast.
4: Yes, of course, (laughs) yes. Then we've, yeah, we do do not get to answer your your mystery question then. (laughs) Um, Rohan, I think that that does it for today's episode. Um, I want to once again thank All of our our wonderful listeners from all over the globe for sending in emails. Keep sending them in to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Rohan, you and I will be back next week. We will be recording on Monday, uh, even though uh, that is uh, our Independence Day, or I guess the day after Independence Day, but we will still be recording. Uh, Chris and I will be back later this week on Thursday. Um, Until then, everyone, please stay safe. Everyone, please continue to enjoy the NBA playoffs.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is
2: going on a road trip. I thought...